Good morning, afternoon or evening everybody and welcome to Pangolin, the conservation podcast. The show dedicated to exploring and amplifying the world's underappreciated conservation stories. The stories that inspire me and I hope will inspire you too. I'm your host Jack Baker and today I am joined by Stephanie Martin, an environmental communicator and the creator of StephanToNature.com to tell stories all about telling stories. Whether they're fact or fiction, based in reality or totally bizarre, stories have been used for a very, very, very long time to communicate important messages and teach people something new. In the realm of conservation, storytelling can therefore be an important tool. But it is a tool that must be used thoughtfully and respectfully. Today, me and Steph talk all about how you can do just that. We share our experiences with writing stories, telling myths and legends, and speaking more scientifically. We also chat about how we can make sure we tell stories in a way that is respectful and culturally sensitive, and we highlight some of the stories which mean the most to Steph. So that means we touch on things like fortress conservation, parachute conservation, mismanagement of land in the UK, and, strangely, seagulls and pigeons. It will all become clear throughout the conversation. I promise. I do promise. (laughs) Now, as you can tell, we've got a lot to get through today, so without further ado... Let's get started. Welcome back to the show. Today I am joined by Stephanie Martin, an environmental communicator who has worked with organisations including Bristol Zoological Society, the University of Oxford and Wild Earth. She also runs her own website, stephintonature.com, which is filled with all sorts of amazing environmental education content, including videos, photos and blogs. And just to start off, thank you so much for for joining me today, Steph. Thank you very much for, for coming along. You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you very much. It's fantastic to get to speak to you. Um, As I have discovered by looking on your website, there is so much to talk about. So I'm sure we will have a very interesting conversation, a very good conversation about all sorts of stuff. But to get us started, I I gave kind of a little bit of an introduction to you there. Um, But of course, you know you better than I know you. So could you introduce yourself to the listeners? Maybe what should they know about you? So I work in environmental communications. So what that means is I sort of have a sciencey environmental background. So um, like I have an undergrad degree in biosciences and a master's in tropical forest ecology. And then I just decided that I probably don't want to do an academic career. Uh, the stuff I enjoy the most is uh, the communication stuff. So taking all that sort of complexy, sciencey things going on in the world and making them interesting and enjoyable to learn about um, and just sort of bridging that gap between the science that's done and the people that get to hear it. So I just started doing my own science communications and then things sort of escalated. And now sometimes people pay me <laughs> to do it for them. Um, and then I've, I've sort of had some, you know, part-time roles in between. Uh, I've just had a year spent at Bristol Zoo doing the the talks and the school sessions there. Um, and then just been trying to sort of squish my own stuff in around it. 
And then at the moment, I'm just sort of freelancing again. So yeah, it's, it's all about communicating sort of environmental science in a way that's just interesting and enjoyable uh, for me, as well as for the people that hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's fantastic. And it's, it's yeah, it's really, really interesting. It's good to see like, you have your kind of like Zooey presentation stuff, but then alongside that, you also have videos about other things. So I feel like you've covered all bases in terms of environmental communication. You could do plants, you can do animals, you can do all sorts of stuff. You've really covered the the board in the environmental education kind of communication space, which is very interesting. Um, and lots of good content out there for listeners. Once they've listened to this, they can go and investigate um, as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is, yeah, basically the podcast is just me going to be selling you as a person to be like, this person's great. Go in there, Welcome go in there. my advert. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a podcast. I paid for advertising. <laughs> yeah, this is, I should do hashtag ad. This is all sponsored. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> no, I feel like what I was going to compliment is like, I feel like it helps as well to start everything with a great pun. Um, and Steph into nature is just fantastic. Um, yeah. I so for anyone who didn't quite get that, it looks it's easier to maybe read um, like step into nature. It's it's it, but it it works in audio form too. I where did that like this was not a question I'd written down, but I need to know like where how was that born? Where did that come about from that that idea? Um, that was on that was a group chat with two of my friends during and my during my master's course um because that's mm-hmm. when I think I sort of was like relaunching my social media in a way and um launching this blog blog properly so I was just trying to come up with a name and um yeah somehow that got thrown out by me although I I, I sort of I try and give them credit because I don't I can't I can't really remember they said it was me but I, I feel like they did it um but yeah just came out from that and thought it was really funny <laughs> because I have a not very great sense of humor <laughs> I think fantastic sense of humor I think excellent 10 <laughs> out of 10 and it leaves it so, like in the winter time you could change it to like Steph into Christmas or you could change it to oh like... my god so this this is what my friends at work so Connor and Steve and they introduced me to the Elton John song of Steph into Christmas or whatever it is and they kept singing that at me <laughs> <laughs> and then if they disapprove if they disapprove of anything I'm doing, like if I'm wearing some fast fashion or something like that, it's like, oh step into fast fashion. <laughs> I get a lot of I bullying. love that. I lo- well, I, yeah, okay. Maybe I don't love the bullying, but I love the idea. <laughs> the concept is there. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, that's fantastic. Um and yeah, I feel like that's if 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 listeners were confused about the the sense of humor and the tone of this interview, that has set it wonderfully for us. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> now we've kind of introduced you and and what you do, and, and I think the reason that I wanted to have you here was to do with a lot of that website and storytelling aspect and like putting these communication out there because I think I am a passionate kind of environmental storyteller communicator. I like to tell all of these tales of the wilderness and all of these plants and animal stories to people um and I liked like when we met earlier this year it's nice to meet someone who has that same passion and that same kind of interest and it's not something we've covered on the show is like how do we communicate conservation in the best way possible and how do people do it in different ways and so I thought that would be an interesting kind of chat and I, I maybe and it fits into this lot of underappreciated stories for me because I think yeah, it's a kind of technical behind the scenes thing that we don't really think about a lot. So that's mm-hmm. why I thought we'd have a an interesting chat. 
And the first question that is like a, a proper question and not just an excuse to make more puns is um, <laughs> is you kind of covered it there, but about how you got into science communication and how that kind of gri- gripped you. But have you always been a storytellery type person? Like when you were younger, is that something you enjoyed doing and it just kind of developed into a career or was it something that really like you discovered only later on? Oh, actually, this is exactly how I, what I want to pursue in life type thing. What was where did that come about, that love mm-hmm. for telling stories? So I think I'm quite rare amongst people I met in that I've always known exactly what I want to do in terms Mm of I've always known what my passions are and the sort of route I want to go down. So it was always nature and it was always writing and storytelling and things like that. Um, So I've always it's always been quite clear what I want to pursue and and what makes me happy on that front. Um, And then, yeah, I've always sort of liked telling stories. So I remember when I was younger, um, we had like a at primary school there was like a a competition with the water local water company Thames Valley Water and uh they you could like write a story or create some art or something that sort of communicates water conservation sort of topics and I did a whole comic strip Mm -hmm. and like drew these terrible pictures and had all these captions it's about a mad scientist I named it after my brother because I didn't like my brother but he was flattered so that was rubbish um (laughs) but it, it I won. I won that competition and it was across like a whole sort of district. Um, and so that was sort of my first success of trying to tell a conservation story and having people be receptive to it. Um, and off the back of that, I got a uh, free trip to Whipsnade Zoo for the whole school. So <laughs> that's a bit of early zoo passion there for the whole class. Sorry, not the whole school. That would be manic. Um, and things just sort of because I've always enjoyed writing stories and I've had some short stories published in anthologies and um, and just little things like that I've just always combined the two Um, I just think it's everyone likes a good story we all have our favorite genres but everyone likes a good story whether that's on tv or in books and things like that and I think if you've got something that you're so passionate about and you want to communicate then it quickly becomes the really obvious way to try to reach people I think so. I couldn't agree more because I have just finished running um, the. So this is going to seem strange because because of the way I recorded things, the episode that came out last week was like mm-hmm. I'm about to start teaching a summer school, but because of the magic of editing, I have just finished teaching a five week long summer school. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so even though it's only been a week for everyone, it's been five or six weeks for me. Um, <laughs> and um, during that, I was kind of one of the days was themed was like um, folklore, myths, and legends, and I couldn't agree like everybody loves a story even like so I would often it was a 16 kids each week and you'd have kids that were more active you'd have kids that were kind of more kind of reserved you'd have kids that were kind of constantly wanting to be playing with things and doing something physical but all of them loved a story and they would all sit no matter even like even the ones who I was kind of like I don't know if they're going to be able to sit through like 10 minutes of me just telling a story because they'll want to be up and doing something all of them were just captured by the magic of a naturey animally story and like it was so encouraging to see and I think so I couldn't agree more with like with like that and um it also I feel like I don't know about you but for me it's just as enjoyable for me I think to tell a story as I hope it is yeah. for the audience to listen to the story because like I was sat telling the story of like it was a plant themed summer school so I told the story of the seasons from Greek mythology about Hades and Persephone and the pomegranate um, oh. and how that caused the seasons to come into the way that we know them now 
and I got so into the like characters and I got so into like, this is my Persephone voice. This is my Hades voice. And it became so enjoyable for me as well. As, like, as, as, as enjoyable for me as I hope it was for the kids. I don't know. Do you get as much joy out of storytelling, I guess, as you hope to give? Is that something that you like, it, it really brings you joy as well? Yeah, I mean, my fa- my favourite way to tell stories is through writing. Um, like, mm-hmm. I enjoy video and the presenting at Bristol Zoo was sort of a new frontier for me, um, mm-hmm. which was enjoyable but challenging. Um, but I I just find sort of constructing a story and getting, uh, getting really involved in it. Because I don't know about you, but when I'm, like, when I'm writing or planning a story, it's like a movie's playing in my head and I'm just writing down what is playing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I, I'm not coming up with it doesn't feel like I'm coming up with anything it feels like it's already there and I'm just sort of translating it um, and it's a really nice way to sort of get lost in things and um, it is just wonderful seeing the reception that can get you know um, especially online like I think it's great to utilize social media because it can be so unnerving putting yourself out there and it feels so cringy it feels mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes it feels absolutely horrendous some stuff I put up but um I do believe, you know, if you want to achieve something, you do have to put yourself out there. And every now and then I'll get a, a message from someone being like, um, reading this thing you wrote or watching this video, uh, it actually inspired me to go and do this thing to actually take action um, or to tell people about this or or I'm going to be doing this thing different. And it's it's even though it's one person, um, it just feels really good to know that actually the effect that I wanted to have is being is being had um so yeah it's, I think it's important that you enjoy it as well because uh, you can just tell a better story then mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I think yeah again couldn't agree more perfect answers all across the board so far like <laughs> I feel like we're on even though we have z- yes. very different it, it it seems different styles of like I like to tell like I, I like making up stories and I like telling stories that are new or exciting or whatever, but I like reading other people's and you like to come up with your own. So I, it's almost unintentionally well-planned that we're having this discussion. It's like I meant it so to I'll be this way. I'll write them and then you, you can tell them to everyone. <laughs> yeah, and I'll add like voices, I'll do whatever. Like it's, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. Um, I do think sometimes like that's my favorite is coming up with a voice for a character. It's just, you look like a crazy person because, and you have to test it a couple of times because sometimes the kids look at you like, what is this why is he suddenly buzzing like a bee and you're like well it's fine um (laughs) but no that's fantastic um now I I know you kind of started in the realm of like plants I guess is your first love um I suppose and then animal kind of conservation maybe came along a bit later I don't know did that kind of um with your experiences with that did you find that it was easier to translate your kind of love of plants into stories or your love of animals like what has that experience been like for you um yeah it's an interesting one plants I think is harder because I think people are more willing to sort of overlook them um and sort of roll their eyes Mm -hmm. at them for me my love of plants came from focusing on what made me feel happy and that was often like forests and things like that and and what made me feel good in them was all of the green and all of the trees and how different they all were and then the more you read into plants um not just their biology and the cool things that different species can do but also our sort of cultural ties to them and the the cultural stories that go along with them um there is so much there that's not often expressed and I think I just have this inherent love for the underappreciated it doesn't matter what it is I think I just ha- I'm just drawn to to things that are underappreciated or overlooked um and I just have this instinctive need to want to sort of lift that up to the sunlight 
and so with like big charismatic animals um I didn't initially for ages have a particularly big interest in them because I was like well everyone cares about them already um there's loads of people working on them I get why they're interesting but it's all been done before these stories have been told before um and I think with plants and it's the same uh, with insects as well there there's just something about them that's just feels so undiscovered um and most people you know walk in the woods and they don't know what the species are I mean off to be honest I'm often one of them because I got a terrible memory <laughs> but um <laughs> it's sort of this excitement it's like a love of exploration I think if you're someone who's maybe you know studying science or interested in it and they they want to do real frontiers of science and and real exploration and investigation you really should be looking at plants and insects and the smaller overlooked things because you know so many of the big things have been studied inside out um so I think that's why the st storytelling initially came um from just plants like I had the really early blog which isn't online anymore which was a uh, yeah, I, I basically would just type stuff up to do like random mushroom species or interesting trees and things like that. Um, it was really fun. And then the storytelling for animals came as a natural part of that. So I got really interested in ecology uh, during uni and just sort of the overall picture of ecosystems. I was really interested in how everything interacts uh, and works together and how easy it is to upset that balance and then from that interest you gain a better interest and appreciation for the sort of bigger animals as well and then working at a zoo and you, you sort of get to know individual animals as well as them as a as part of their representatives of their species and it becomes quite you know it'll be hard to resist the sort of charms <laughs> of, of those animals um but even then, I mean, for me, the main thing at Bristol Zoo isn't the animals, it is the plants, which <laughs> I try and keep to myself, but it really is. I remember the first time I went there, um, sort of seeing the animals, but just being like, I just feel like I'm in a miniature Kew Gardens, so like beautiful botanical gardens, um, and there just happens to be animals here. And I've gone on tours and stuff with the head gardener, and the, the thought and the planning and everything that goes into every last detail is just amazing. So I think my inherent love just started with plants because that's what made me happy. And I found so much about them that uh, wasn't widely known. And then everything else just sort of built up around that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. And I think, yeah, you're right. In, I like you're on an underappreciated conservation stories podcast. So that, yeah, yeah I, I could again, like, yeah, it's it's exactly what I I would say. It's kind of. Yeah, I think these underappreciated stranger things um, in conservation and nature are often the, the most interesting ones as well, because people haven't heard the stories before. And I think all people are always inherently a bit more gripped by something new. So even though elephants or whatever it is, if you were to show them a giraffe or a gorilla or whatever it is, they're exciting and they can learn new things about them. I think when you see something strange, like a bizarre plant or like a weird, um, strange insect or whatever it is, you're more gripped in a way because it's something entirely new and you have that thrill of seeing it for the first time. So yeah, I guess that can that kind of goes into a lot of my thinking as well. And I I think, yeah, it's, it's there was something else I was thinking about while you were talking there as well. And it's escaping me. Um, Oh, no, it was the fact that like, yes, I think it's easier in a way to put, as you were saying, kind of to teach about these things that people know about, like the the animals, because they have they have inherently more of a personality because they are they've got the big eyes that we can connect with. They've got the kind of fur that's cute. We've, they've got the big floppy ears or whatever it is, um, whereas the plants and the underappreciated things. I think it can be helpful to tell these stories and create stories about them um, and pitch them in this way, because 
by giving them a personality through a story or through a talk or through whatever it is, you then form that charismatic connection for people because mm. yeah, maybe a plant isn't ever inherently charismatic. Well, I mean, it's charismatic in a way because it might be an interesting color or shape or do something cool, but it doesn't have the personality or it's harder to give it the personalities. Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm now rambling to try and sound poetic, but I understand. <laughs> I know what I mean. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. It- it's surprising how how easy that can be in a way like one of my most popular posts mm-hmm. on Instagram it was a picture of a snail it wasn't even my picture um I mm-hmm. put a you know in the caption it wasn't mine but my whole point was I wanted to use it uh to sort of test out a way of uh, telling a story and um I wanted to talk about how snails mate so I did mm-hmm. it in a way of like okay imagine imagine this and then I just described it as though it's like two people in a club um, but instead of, you know, <laughs> chatting and then going home with each other or whatever, this is what you do instead. And it's like the snail version. And it's so gross and ridiculous. And um, I had people commenting being like, I honestly came just to like the photo. And then I read, started reading the caption and I just got so engrossed. <laughs> and that's ridiculous. And thank you. I've learned something new. And like, I, I it can, you know, people think, well, how can I take a, a, you know, a slimy snail or like a weird bug or a, like a plant that doesn't even move? And how, how can I get people interested in it? But we, you know, we've used stories for forever probably for as long as humans have been around um, to, to translate information and to get people to understand our meaning. And uh, if you can find one element that can connect your story to, to he- the human experience, I think that's what uh, is the, the sort of best way to the, gets the best results. Mm. Is it, that's, that is the eloquent way of saying what I was trying to say. Thank you so much for summarizing. <laughs> I was perfect. You've got Nailed a nicer it. accent to say it in, Jack. <laughs> okay, so yeah, we'll just take it from the start and I'll just repeat everything you've just said. I'll pretend I wrote that Instagram post and it'll all be yeah. fine. No, um, no I, that was the perfect eloquent way of saying what I was trying to say. Um, and yes, I think, yeah, like we, um, d- during the summer, I was telling the story a lot of the time of Echo and Narcissus. Um, and I, that's kind of a similar one where kind of you have this story of a daffodil, but people kind of already kind of like the daffodil. It's kind of semi kind of a charismatic loved thing anyway. But then you provide a hu- the fact that the human becomes the daffodil. It then connects you a little bit more to nature. Yeah. So excellent. 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 Um, now, I often, um, if my inherent rambling through this and every other podcast episode is not does not make this clear I often have a hard time picking what stories I want to tell and what stories I want to focus on and I know you've kind of talked about it a little bit but when you're kind of beyond kind of maybe what we've talked about already when you're creating your content for your website or your blog or for when you're thinking about what you want to talk about the zoo how is it you really narrow down and pick this is the species or this is the story I want to to tell is it something that just comes to you in a wave or is it something that you have to think about and plan a bit more so it basically depends on what time constraints I'm working under this last (laughs) year has been insanely hectic and I've ended up having essentially two jobs and I've had no time so often it's just been what photo do I have that I think could grab someone's attention okay what can I write about that um which isn't my preferred way of doing it but I'm a big believer in like you know, just put it out there. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's not going to be perfect. 
Um, and if you try and hold yourself to a really high standard of it needs this many likes and this much attention, it's an impossible standard and you're just going to have a bad time. So I would prefer to just put imperfect stuff out there <laughs> um, and keep things moving. So I've yeah, it's, that's what it's been sort of the last year. But what I'm getting to now again and what I used to do before is um, I often would start with uh I mean, looking at the research level, I'd often look at um, new publications, scientific publications on Google Scholar and just type in some keywords. So maybe it's a topic that's interested me today. Maybe I am particularly interested about an animal. Maybe I've got a photo of an animal or a plant and I want to see if there's any new in- interesting research related to it. Um, and I just I, I go and search through there because for me, I feel like one of my sort of unique skills is because I have this sciencey background, I can translate scientific papers into sort of standard language, which is kind of a skill in itself. Because I remember when I was first reading scientific papers at uni, it was like reading a foreign language. It just nothing made sense. And you don't know which bits are important to look at. Um, And it can be really hard and it it can be easy to mistranslate as well, which we see sometimes happening in the media. Um, And it can have really bad consequences. So um, for me, I'm like, this is something that I can do and I can really fit that ethos that I have of like, I want to take science that's happening now and translate it into a way people can understand. So I like to go to the source that way and just see what takes my interest and then sort of build up something around that. Um, and then the other way I do it is news stories. So again, on, on Google, you can like type in a keyword and then you can search from just the day it's published so you often have to filter through weird irrelevant things but then you come across like a little gold mine um and then you want to tell that story so yeah I tend to do that I tend to sort of it's more like a big general search um trying to utilize the skills I have and the knowledge I have and then just seeing what jumps out at me but then sometimes I'll I'll have just been like on Twitter or something or or like just looking at news and I'll have seen something and just be like, oh, that's interesting. I've not heard that before. So I'll screenshot it uh, to come back to later. And then maybe like a few days later or when I've got time, I'll take a look at it and do a bit of a like deeper dive into it and see if it's something that I think I could uh, translate or, or tell well for people. So yeah, a whole mishmash really. And then just keeping an eye on what your day-to-day life is and if there's anything that people might find interesting there or not. Sometimes I share stuff where I'm like, no one is going to be interested that I did this today, but I need to I need to keep social media fun for me. So here's a picture of me having a cider. <laughs> like, sorry, I know this is an environmental account. <laughs> no, it's it's important that people know that like, there's a personality behind this. It's not just that you come on just to talk. You have other interests too, because um, I am now backing myself into yeah. the corner of like, <laughs> I feel like the only knowledge people have of me is he likes animals so it's wise to start posting things where you're like I do have other hobbies too because uh, <laughs> otherwise people think of you as just one thing <laughs> it's a great set of hobbies uh drinking and <laughs> uh, animals slash plants it's it's all you can need um no that's no um that's fantastic and yeah um it kind of got me thinking that I, I guess we kind of touched on them at the, at the start with in terms of your your website and everything that you you put out but once you've kind of created you've kind of found a story you want you are you create all sorts of, so there's the Instagram posts there's reels there's a blog there's YouTube videos there's all sorts of stuff that you make how do you then decide oh this I think I'm just going to make as like a Instagram post where I'll just type something up or like when you'd commit to like 
how do you decide, oh, I'm going to make a, a video of this to tell people? How do I make, like, oh, I'm going to make this into a 10 second long reel? Like, that must be a tricky choice to make as well, because there's so many different ways to tell stories. When you have a good one, it must be so hard to settle on, I'm going to tell it this way. How do you do that? Yeah. Um, so I guess the two sort of practical things that first come to mind is, again, time. <laughs> um, yes. And you know, for it's it's kind of an odd one because if I've got less time, I'm more inclined to do video because it's something I can do like when I'm on a bus or something and just edit on my phone. But mm -hmm. if I'm rather than writing, but um, I think it's, I think at the moment it's sort of quite experimental with video. So I set up my YouTube channel. I don't think it was that long ago. And I was so nervous about it um, because it's it is well out my comfort zone making video, especially with like me in it and talking and stuff. Um, so at the moment, I I try and focus on video as a way to sort of challenge myself as well, because there's so many different skills and techniques and things with videos. You've got to think about how you're presenting and do you want to have a script prepared or do you just want to sort of wing it? Um, do you want to edit it in a really like quick and flashy way or do you want to actually take take a few more minutes to you know tell time or do you want to do it really long on YouTube um, so I think a lot of my decision making has been less to do with how might people receive this and more to do with this is a skill I want to develop or I want to challenge myself so this is how I'm going to do it in fact some of my blog posts I, I wrote the blog post and then like seven months later just made a YouTube video of the blog post um, purely as a way to sort of challenge myself and see what people are receptive to so yeah I think yeah I basically I barely think about which platform is best and I think about uh, what's the best way that I can enhance my skill set at the moment um, but my my default for sharing tends to be on Instagram just because that's sort of how I started out. Uh, well, I guess actually that's not true. I started out with um, my first blog, uh, just writing and sharing photos and stuff. But when I started to really try and connect with people, because that blog was purely for me and purely to like keep me feeling linked to the environmental stuff when I was at a time where I wasn't sort of studying environmental stuff. And um, the Instagram was where I first made like the 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 real effort to actually connect with people with the topic so my default tends to be it's going to go on Instagram <laughs> because I know what I'm doing there and I have an audience there and they're an engaged audience and all these things um and then it, it's often it can depend on you know what's honestly what algorithms and things are doing like most apps now are moving towards video so it's kind of good to to stay focused but if I think something's particularly good with just a photo and some writing or I just feel like writing a story that day then I'll do that um and just accept it won't get as much traction but you know I want to enjoy myself um but yeah I think I I think that any story can be told in any format so I don't tend to have a thing of like I have to tell this as video or people won't be interested or I have to do photography or I have to do writing. I think if you tell it well, um, then it will have an audience and people receive information better in different ways. Like for someone that makes videos, I, I have such a short attention span. I wasn't really into watching YouTube videos and that for ages until I started making them. Um, so it's just, yeah, I guess it's a combination of, just what I want to get better at. So at the moment that's video and um, 
what I have time to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I agree because I'm the same. Like when I started the podcast, I was like, audio is fine for me because I cannot possibly edit video on top of audio. Like I'm too, like, because the format I wanted to tell my stories and talk to people in was like longer form. So I wanted to be yeah. able to have long discussions without having to worry about like, oh, now I have to edit an hour and a half's worth of video. I just want to have yeah, a nice chat with so people. Long. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, I fully, fully get the struggle of like, this is the time I have. This is, we'll do what we do and we'll see how it comes out in the end. And yeah. it'll, it'll be, and yeah, yeah, a good story is a good story, whether you tell it in a minute or 10 minutes or 15 minutes in a written form or whatever it is, like a good story is a good yeah. story. Um, this is, I, I also like, it hit me when you were giving your answer. I was like, this is the most meta podcast I've ever done because it's a, a podcast a, a, a podcast where we're telling stories about telling stories and my brain is now just processing that I'm like it's this is very very strange but I think it's an interesting one uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I think more people should do it I think that's yeah. I think people get scared to put stuff out there and and to have people um judging them but I rarely get negative comments mostly if people don't like their stuff they just won't interact like they're not gonna mm-hmm you know, send you horrible things. But um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's just like, I often can't watch videos that I made early on, but I refuse to take them down because I'm like, no, I did it. It took me ages. I'm proud of it. I just don't <laughs> ever want to see it again. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think, because that, that was my biggest thing is I was just like, how how, how do you do that on screen and know people are going to watch you? And um, But mm-hmm. I've sort of gotten over that a little bit, but it's it's still like, putting your ideas out there and, and having a bit of a, a, a personality while you do it as well. Um, and then you're potentially, you know, if I write something, people can not like my writing. But if I film something and someone doesn't like it, there's an element there of they probably to an extent didn't like me or didn't like the way I was presenting or, or whatever. And it, it feels a lot more personal. So it is a bit more scary. Um, and I think that's that can be sort of off-putting for people um and by people I mean me (laughs) um, (laughs) video is the way that people seem to be consuming those stories now or seem to be wanting to especially short videos so um yeah it's sort of investing in the right areas I guess Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and worst comes to worst there is a lovely block button on every platform that you can just be like goodbye stranger who decided to have an opinion yeah. goodbye um, I will never see you again <laughs> um, yeah that's, no, that's um, only a few times I've had to use that so it's quite nice really oh I had to do it for the first time the other day and it felt so good I was like oh <laughs> it's, I have power <laughs> it was just a tweet someone I said it I was like, I... well what did you have what were you saying Oh, oh, I, I had, had somebody. Um, oh no, sorry. There's a slight delay, so we're just... <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll say my thing, and then you you have to tell me yours. But like, I had when I first started working at a zoo, some people that um, were you know very pro environment, but anti zoo. Uh, I had some not happy messages there, uh, and then whenever I posted anything to do with uh, like pride or LGBTQ plus sort of rights and stuff, I tend to get the odd homophobe <laughs> in in my messages but that's about it or oh, the odd creep but not really and they're kind of funny so I tend to let them carry on on their own just so I can have something to, to entertain me uh, I don't <laughs> tend to block them but um yeah the homophobes and the the ones that get like I had someone comparing zoos to uh the holocaust and I was like oh I'm not gonna do that <laughs> not, not gonna engage oh, with that no we're definitely yeah. not gonna be doing that that's yeah mine was a mine was a a a zoo related thing and you just kind of think like 
it's almost it feels personal because you're kind of like i have invested my entire life in conservation i am fully aware of all of the impacts of zoos and whether they should or shouldn't exist and i'm (laughs) happy to hear your comments but sir who is this is a football fan account um for a certain (laughs) football team I don't know if you're the one to be lecturing me on <laughs> <laughs> on this. I'm perfectly happy to hear your opinion, but please don't sit, send me an aggressive message about how you think about certain things. I'm like, no, I don't need to hear that. Uh, yeah, you on your way. No, it's yeah. So yeah, that, I I mean that's the that's the one dark side. But I feel like it's such a funny dark side. Occasionally, you're like, yeah. okay, goodbye, bye bye. It means um, everything gets screenshotted or screen recorded and sent to group chats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's fun in its own way <laughs> yep yep it's usually me and my co-host um of Razoo, jody i'll like, just like screenshot something to her and be like lol just like send her like, the, the thing and be like huh this is funny <laughs> yeah. um but uh no it's yes but let's not focus on the the haters let's focus on the if you've come from instagram from steph's instagram and you're listening to her here thank you so much we love you you're the best um you're excellent and yes thank you for being engaged (laughs) thank you for being an engaged conservation fan and we love you and appreciate you more than anyone else um so yes and to switch the conversation slightly before we just uh, get too distracted by this this little tangent um (laughs) no it was fully on me this is a i am leading us down paths that we should be sticking to the main the main thing i always i like how before we started i was like we need to really focus on the time because I, I keep going over and it's just because guests keep talking. And then internally I go, no, Jack, it's because you won't shut up and keep asking them questions. Uh, <laughs> um, no, So <laughs> back on track, what I wanted to ask you about was we've kind of, we were talking about how it's hard to pick what stories to tell. And I think an important thing in conservation, especially is whose, con- whose stories do we have the right to tell and whose story and how do we tell those stories? Because a lot of conservation happens around the world in countries that we've never visited in countries that we may never visit in our entire lives, but it contains some of our favorite flora or fauna or anything that's there. We love it. But what right do we have to tell those stories? How do we, from those countries, how do we tell them in the correct way? Because we're not part of the cultures of the countries in which the stories are taking part in like, it's such a hard thing to navigate because you want to help, but you don't want to help in the wrong way. Um, and it's such a, it's this really hard balance to achieve of telling a conservation story, but telling it in a respectful and proper manner. And I wondered, how do you make sure that you tell a story in a way that's respectful to the cultures that are most impacted by them in reality? How would you, how do you deal with that? Yeah. I mean, it's good that it's sort of more at the forefront of, people's minds I feel like in the last few years or I don't know five to ten years um and obviously if you're you know if you're white which I am um then you have to be sensitive to uh your sort of ancestry and what they have done um and a lot of these countries where conservation happens it's not necessarily the best kind of conservation because there's something called um fortress conservation which is uh essentially essentially what happened is colonizers went and killed a bunch of animals and then were like oh no the animals and then <laughs> kicked out all the native and indigenous people and then put a big you know fence or protection around it and we're like there we go now the animals are safe and <laughs> like now we can visit them 
and it, it's just such a bad form of conservation because it's you're not keeping the, the people there that actually lived in harmony and um and actually could live in balance and could be caretakers of the land and caretakers for these animals and and things like that and then there's parachute conservation as well which is uh you know sort of white scientists jumping into an area and being from you know a totally different country totally different ecosystems and being like i have all the answers um and those are both really bad forms of conservation and that's not to say um you know westerners uh, can't go out to other countries and do conservation in these countries but it is saying that you have to loop in um locals and you have to learn from them and you have to pay them and you have to fund them and and things like this um i know a bristol zoo um they they do some work in madagascar and if they're a student goes out from like the uk they have to fund a counterpart in madagascar um as part of it so it's it's stuff like that um that is very very important to do and the reason i say all this is because i think it's a similar thing when you're telling the stories um you've got to look at are you telling the story in that sort of fortress way or with that viewpoint of um any human interaction with the animals is bad any people doing anything um to harm the animals like hunting them or anything is categorically bad or are you taking into account the big picture have you spoken to people from that area i mean ideally you would include someone um and write or tell a story with someone that actually has direct um direct knowledge of the situation uh, but that you know not always possible so then you've just got to look at your own viewpoint i know until i went so i was i was um when i was 18 or 19 i was in the amazon rainforest as a research assistant and up until i went there i had this view that i'd got i guess from like geography lessons of um you know people out there in the amazon the rainforest they're cutting them down they're setting them on fire just to farm things you know these are these are people they don't care about the environment at all they don't care about nature that was my viewpoint and then i went out there and i like i met the people that lived in these areas and i spoke to um people that had grown up in the area and i spoke to um you know scientists that had worked closely with these people and you realize very quickly i'm wrong that's not what it is <laughs> no one wants to destroy nature because uh, it's funny or whatever um in these situations this is just their livelihood you know if you do the same thing when we read statistics about like oh this much is cut down for slash and burn farming and this much is is destroyed because people are you know taking all these expensive trees well if you've been born in that same situation or you're living in those same circumstances it doesn't matter how much you love nature you'd be doing the exact same you know you jack would be doing the same thing you'd be uh like however much we can we care because you still have to survive and you still have to provide for your family and you you still have to make a living and a lot of the time what's letting down these situations is a lack of government policy and um allowing corporations to do whatever they want with the environment and uh yeah things like that really i mean even stuff like um like the ivory trade and and killing animals for their skins it's it's generally not the people that are out there that are doing the hunting that are getting loads of money it's some knob in a city paying them not very much to do it you know but they're removed from the situation in a way so i guess I, the way i see it is I, I try and tackle it the same way i would tackle physically being out in the field you know would i be 
you know, learning from locals about what was going on? Would I be trying to make connections? Um, would I trying to be more of a student? That sort of thing. Um, and I think with stories, you can do the same thing. So it's, it's more important that you learn about the situation that's out there. You may want to tell a story about um, a deer that's getting, you know, hunted to extinction and you want to raise awareness and stuff, but you actually need to look at the whole picture there and ideally talk to the people that are in that situation where they're hunting or you know and change people's perspectives because I think it's so easy to be in sort of your nice home far removed and judge people for doing um, certain actions that are causing issues but you don't you're not in a position where you have to choose to do those Um, so yeah I hope that makes sense (laughs) it's Mm. a, a bit muddly no, it makes perfect sense because I think it's it's such a and it's such a sensitive thing to have to to deal with because it comes down to us. We have a responsibility as well to make sure that we phrase things and present things in a way that is perceived in the correct fashion. So when you're telling things, you have to be really careful about the words you use, the tone of voice you use, the eye movements you use, everything. The way that you present has to be so monitored because if you like, I think something that's often thrown out to throw it all the way back to season one when we were talking about the pangolin. Something that was thrown around a lot of the time around that when I was recording that um, during the pandemic was just the words like China does this or China does this to the pangolin or China, China, China does this, that or the next thing to the pangolin. And if you Mm. were to say that, even though it might be the simple, it's a very simple thing to understand is that there are issues. There are issues in China where pangolins are used in traditional medicine. That is a debate and that's a discussion that needs to be had. But by simplifying it to the point of being like, China does this, that's borderline, if not completely quite racist by being like, because it assumes in your presentation of it that everybody in China is somehow responsible for this, but that's not the case at all. Um, and it's how it can be taken as well. Like I think as well, you have a responsibility when you're when you're sharing information of thinking about how could this be perceived and if you're using mm-hmm. these vast generalizations i mean back to your main question the best thing you could do for certain stories is just facilitate someone else being able to tell them or providing mm-hmm. a platform like that's eventually what i'd love to have on my blog is essentially people telling their own conservation stories in their their own countries and their own areas um but it's just a process um because yeah sometimes the best thing that we can do is is not get involved and it's facilitate instead Mm -hmm. and that's yeah that's what I hope to do with the podcast almost is to help people have a platform in which they can reach a different audience maybe than they'd be used to reaching and tell their stories for themselves because I think it came up actually while we were planning the summer school for the botanics it came up this discussion of what stories do we tell and what stories can I tell to the kids on the folklore legends day and it was obviously like Scottish stories brilliant Greek myths and legends also good because they're kind of historic they are disconnected from perhaps a modern culture or belief system whereas Mm. things like there was a discussion about aboriginal stories and obviously those stories are still very much living those cultures are still very much alive Um, Mm. and so how do you present those in like and how do you because obviously I am not Australian I have not uh, I've never been to Australia I've never met anybody who um, has told me these stories from their culture. And so it would be me almost cherry picking bits that I thought were cool or interesting to tell. Mm. And it would be kind of, you have to think about how then, okay, it's okay to disperse this knowledge in a way and say, these are some stories that happened, but how do you 
present it in a way that's respectful and understanding and obviously I don't have the background so how do you, do you point kids in the direction of it and hope they find it for them it's just all of these little questions that you have to think about and I think we yeah. don't think about enough it's it's, it's a I really interesting there's, one there's more resources now than there used to be so like I, I think people are more willing to say you know like an aboriginal person is more willing to have there's put information out there sort of online and be like okay this is what you can and can't do <laughs> you know few, mm-hmm. people are happier to sort of be blunter and it's it's at the point now where you know if you if you mess it up it, it is on you for doing a lack of research because I think the information is is out there now um mm-hmm. but it is hard yeah because you, you're so used to I know when I was younger anyway you didn't these things just weren't thought of in anything this is why we look back and we cringe at certain like TV shows or storylines or the way things were presented or the way teachers taught taught us things um, because that's not that's not the reality and it's not how it's done now Um, but then it means if you're coming from a background of that you're sort of re-educating yourself um, which is a good thing. I think so and there's always more more to learn and more stories to be told and more to hear and more to share and more to to gain things from and so I think yeah it's a it's a really important discussion and something yeah it's it's encouraging to see the direction of movement seems to be positive and hopefully we can keep going in that direction of kind of helping to share stories in a in a respectful and and correct and and good good way um I guess moving slightly onto a, a different topic that I wanted to discuss and wanted to kind of um wanted to bring up and I, I we've talked about we've been talking about talking about stories um and conservation <laughs> um but what I wanted to talk about was the stories themselves and I wondered are there issues are there uh, is there any particular underappreciated story that has been playing on your mind or there a couple of underappreciated stories that have been playing on your mind that you'd like the listeners to to know about and like to to learn what what is there anything you'd like to teach them or tell them about or yes free reign really to you on any stories that you have or things you'd like to put out there well I'm not sure if it's it's because I think it's a bit more out in the public sphere now but I think one of the big ones is uh the way we garden (laughs) which sounds really tame especially after you've been talking about like you know worldwide conservation and stuff but um when we look at our own country in you know England or the UK as a whole um there's such a an issue of biodiversity loss and a lot of that comes from landowners owning massive amounts of land and then just mowing everything constantly mm-hmm. <laughs> and also people with gardens sort of not uh not embracing the diversity that you can have there so we seem to have this hangover from like olden times of we need to have these lovely close cut lawns um, with no no daisies, no weeds, nothing like that. And it's causing a, like an enormous problem <laughs> in, in biodiversity. Like we are in a biodiversity crisis and uh, one of the best things that we can do is start cultivating sort of wildflowers. And I think if you're someone in the conservation sphere, you sort of heard this all before, because I know it comes up on my Twitter and stuff a lot. But outside of that, I don't think it does because I, you know, I've, um, I remember living somewhere and my landlords lived on site as well. And they kept having arguments with their neighbours who were getting really annoyed because they wouldn't mow large sections of their, of their garden. And then they would end up getting, you know, those flowers and things that they didn't want growing in theirs. So there was like this 
they for them they were weeds and for my landlords they were like these beautiful flowery meadows that were encouraging all these insects that were then encouraging all these birds um and even i remember as a kid just having no idea why my parents were mowing the grass because like you mow the grass and then the flowers are gone and uh there's no need for it to be short like what well, we, we're not playing football out there we're just <laughs> we're just sitting we're just chilling out um so i i quite like raising awareness of this topic because i think it's it's quite an easy one to get your head around but one that's not thought of much of like think about the outdoor areas that you have access to or responsibility over um do you need that massive patch of just pure grass or would it be better to sort of give that over to meadows and wildflowers and native species um, and different things like that? So I feel like we're the UK is quite slow and stuff like that. It's also um, there's this whole movement of the right to roam in the UK, which is to do with how, you know, in some countries like, like Sweden, um, you have the right to pass through essentially any land. Like I'm really simplifying that. <laughs> I'm sure there's more to it than that. But essentially, you know, whereas in the UK, there's all these you no know, trespassing signs everywhere and, um, you know, massive areas of land that you just can't enter, even though, you know, it's it's been just been passed down from like hundreds and hundreds of years ago uh, or gifted by some king or whatever um, to a family and they've just held on to it forever. But it just means there's these huge areas of nature where you can't access and they're not necessarily being managed in a way that benefits nature. They're being managed in a way that, you know, they'll put loads of deer there to then hunt, but then there's not a management of how uh, the plant species that are growing and how the ecosystem is thriving. And there's a lack of sort of biological knowledge or things being cut at the wrong time. And then that means certain animals can't nest and it's just a whole complex thing so I basically just wanted to raise this because it's on my mind a lot and it just feels very frustrating that there's these huge areas of nature and land that we can't access and aren't being managed correctly but the the lack of management there impacts all of us and that the entirety of the UK's ecosystems um, and I, I think something needs to change there. I yeah I I I totally agree and I think yeah something I've tried to do this year is plant a more plant more wildflowers and make my own garden more of a wild space as kind of this like this is what I this is what I want to see on a bigger larger grander scale um because and then to me I get those benefits of like the increased insects and I get the seen more bees and more hoverflies and I shot saw a shield bug the other day which I know is a very basic thing it got me very but it got me very excited um (laughs) like it's the first time I've seen one ever in our garden and like all of these things (laughs) happen um and yeah I I agree that there is this issue here that is kind of not necessarily discussed enough I think and more can Mm -hmm. definitely be done um but we we need to start pushing slightly more for these things to, to actually take effect and it, it links back to our previous discussion as well because it's we're very quick to to point the finger and go I love tigers why are you not doing enough about tigers or why are you not doing mm-hmm. enough about this or that or the next thing but we need to especially if we're based in Britain in the UK turn those lenses back on ourselves and think okay well before we go out and start shouting at everybody else for their conservation um, issues in their countries well why don't we think about the fact that in the UK, the largest carnivore we have left is the badger. Why do we not think about yeah. these things of like, yeah, and these issues like, as you were saying, the mismanagement of land and and that sort of stuff that we need to start thinking about 
um, our own issues a bit more intensely. I, I, so yeah, it's something I think about a lot as well. Yeah, and and that is why, like you said, it comes back to it earlier. At the end of the day, the the people who know best how to conserve an area of land is the people that live there, mm-hmm. you know. And so, rather than focusing on, um, I know, I mean, I did this too, like raising money to go abroad to do conservation in a in a different country. Well, why not just do it here? <laughs> like it, it may not feel as exotic, but you're going to know a lot more about sort of how to conserve here um than you are abroad and I I never had that interest when I was younger in in the UK's environment because I was I I grew up in like Watford and I didn't like it and there's not much you know nature and I just felt very trapped and I I just thought the whole of the UK was like Watford which is a horrifying thought (laughs) sorry if anyone's (laughs) Uh, sorry mum um but yeah it's I just felt like that so I thought well I have to go abroad I have to go abroad so that I can feel free that I can be in proper nature I saw it as like proper nature and openness because in the UK even when you know I was very lucky like my my parents and you know especially my dad they take me out uh, on the weekends all the time to like national trust places and just naturey places um, woodlands and things I was very lucky but it always felt like there were I was going to a small patch like an island of nature um in this really overbuilt um over urbanized country and I wanted to go to these like wild places like proper rainforests and proper like savannah and like all these amazing ecosystems where instead of you having to leave an urban area to go to like a a refuge of nature you were just in it all the time I didn't think we could have that in the UK but the reality is we could have that in the UK. It's just all cordoned off and we have no trespass signs stuck in the front. Um, and also, I think, you know, I'm from the south. Probably if I'd just gone further north, I could have found um, <laughs> environments more like that. I mean, you probably maybe can't relate from Scotland. To your I was going to say, have you, ever, have you ever heard of a little country called Scotland? Um, it's, it's up no, there. And we're... <laughs> <laughs> oh. But this is the thing, like you grow up in an area and you think, oh, there's no way. I, it, it's, I just thought the whole country, I thought the whole of the UK was like that, let alone just England. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, it's the best thing I think is look, look up home. What, what can you do at home? There's so much work to be done here in the UK and that doesn't mean you can't take the skills abroad, but it means you'll, you'll actually be useful rather than just going out there, um, and, you know, sort of assisting, um, and doing sort of, I guess, work that could be done really by, by paid locals, essentially. Um, not that it necessarily would be because NGOs and charities, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, but actually get your skills here and and work really hard here in the UK and and make things better for for your own sort of home and then try and facilitate other people in their own countries being able to do the same Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I think that goes for if you're listening from we're obviously both based in the UK currently but we do have listeners from across the world I think 85 something countries now um and like so yeah if you are sitting in the states or you're sitting in Australia or you're sitting in France or Germany or wherever you are think about it there's bound to be similar issues and similar things happening around you um and so have a think have a look see what's around you in your local projects your local issues and yeah think more about about them I, I I would yeah highly encourage that that is a transferable um transferable thought process that could go anywhere so yeah that's that's really fantastic um 
I think I, I, I have this written down and I feel like we've talked a lot about an underappreciated story, but I want to take it down slightly more to the species level. Um, and I wanted to give you a chance because I like to do this with zoo people and ask them um, what underappreciated species have you experienced or worked with or done whatever like that you'd like to highlight, shine the spotlight on. So if you had to go down to the species level, not just the story level, the species level, who would your underappreciated species that you'd like to shine a spotlight on? <laughs> okay, I, don't, I, I knew what my answer to your question was going to be immediately, um, mm-hmm. but I actually don't even know the the species if it's a species level uh but I've got I've got two I I can choose one if I need to but first of all the massive seagulls in Bristol and second of all (laughs) the pigeons in London every single one of them and specifically the ones in London (laughs) and those are two underappreciated species (laughs) that I love with all my heart and soul and would die for they're incredible and and why? Because <laughs> these are commonly referred to as like pests, or people don't like them, or they just see them as like rats of the sky that are kind of these horrible things that like they get this kind of bad reputation. So why do you? Those people are them? idiots, and they can fight me. <laughs> <laughs> I I love them to death. I think that it's because they're just the funniest things on the world. <laughs> they're so funny. Like the the seagulls in Bristol are they're enormous. I've never seen. I'm sorry that I'm just laughing because I find them funny but they're so huge and then you'll just be walking down a road and you'll just see a massive seagull like on a car and and they look so serious they look like they look like they're about to go into a really intense business meeting and they're just reviewing all of their points and maybe they've got some issues with their wife back at home and and then they're just sat on this car contemplating and they're just so big and they make the dumbest noises like <laughs> I'll be trying to s- sleep and I'll just start screaming <laughs> and it's like that's not a bad noise you're just screaming and, <laughs> and like I have this friend called Ian who <laughs> after he sneezes makes like a sexual moan it's like achoo uh-huh. <laughs> And like I was listening to the seagulls the other day and they did the same thing they were just going like Ugh. they're just so funny and then that brings me on to the pigeons in London which they're just so confident and I just feel like there's nothing that they wouldn't do and I think people just walk past these literally hundreds of pigeons a day and they don't even acknowledge them and they're just they're always doing funny and weird things and I think the reason I love these animals so much is because when I'm walking around and they're doing something ridiculous and hilarious and no one is acknowledging it um, except me. And then I'm like, what if they're just figments of my imagination? What if, they're not even what if, I'm, what if they only exist in my mind? <laughs> like, I just, I cannot even begin to tell you how like walking around Bristol, I would just suddenly break out into hysterics because there's like a seagull sat on a bin. And for some reason that's just so funny to me they're just tiny serious dinosaurs but they're sat on a bit (laughs) (laughs) I just I love them I can't give you a a scientific species I only love seagulls in Bristol and pigeons in London that's it I love that. Like you used to be a dinosaur. What happened to you? What? Yeah, like yeah. you're just sat on a bin. What is Look this? At you swooping down for some chips. 
but doing it badly. What's wrong with you? You're all flustered. Get to your business meeting, Brian. <laughs> and that, ladies and gentlemen, um, and everybody else, is the power of storytelling because that has made me fall in love with the strange and weird and wonderful worlds of seagulls and pigeons. So the, the, we've just put into into example everything we've talked to about throughout the call in exactly what we... That's, yep, perfect, perfect. We got, <laughs> love it, love it, love it, love it. Um, now, <laughs> my final questions are always the same and I, I feel like I would I could sit and talk about seagulls all day but we're gonna have to we're gonna have to keep moving otherwise we will just create a seagull podcast themed podcast oh my god um, I'll do it seagulls <laughs> of Bristol seagulls of Bristol there's your next reel or uh whatever it is you want to post on Instagram your next account you know what is, uh, I'm making an Instagram account for them <laughs> do it do it do it um and so my my next question is uh, if you had any advice for someone who's maybe listened to our whole conversation today, um, doesn't think we're totally mad and would actually take advice from us, um, do you have any advice for for them? If they're feeling inspired, what can they do to either um, get involved with kind of what you're interested in in terms of like storytelling or just kind of general conservation advice? What advice would you would you give a listener today? So the advice I always always give people that ask me this is. Um, volunteer if you can and I know that can be really hard um, for time constraints and commitments and so many other reasons health whatever Um, but you can also volunteer for conservation online Um, so just bear that in mind Uh, so I've got on my website stepintonature.com I've got a whole resource which is just volunteering online for wildlife conservation and it's just all these different websites you can do it and you can do things like you can volunteer like i don't know graphic design skills but you can also just do citizen science things so helping id stuff on camera trap images there's like a whole range so definitely look up volunteering um and then i always say there's like two strands so you, you want to do volunteering that evidences your passion so your passion for nature and animals and conservation so if you can find anything along that theme that's good but then also uh volunteering to enhance your skill set So that's like if you really want to go into, I don't know, wildlife filmmaking, so say like telling stories there, um, you might not be able to find like a wildlife filmmaking volunteering opportunity, um, but you might be able to find a filmmaking opportunity um, and it could be uh, for like a local magazine or something, or it could be for um, a small charity that's not related to to wildlife at all but that's about building your skill set and then when it comes to like applying to jobs and things like that um in that area because even if you're like you're not you know I, I often say things like this with students in mind but even if you're someone who's just looking for a career change or has been trying to get into the field for forever and struggling um it's just about I think getting those two things that you can then mush together and apply to things and be like I've got both you can see I'm passionate and you can see that I can do this thing that I'm applying for. Um, so that's my main advice for conservation. And then in terms of if you want to tell stories, um, like it's, I know this sounds like the most irritating advice, advice, but just do it. Like you, your stories, if you've not done, if you've not made a video before, your first videos are going to suck. Like they are, they're going to be really bad. Go and watch mine. It's embarrassing. They're going <laughs> to they're gonna be awkward and badly edited and you're going to look like an idiot. I'm sorry, but you are. But that doesn't matter because your hundredth video 
it's going to be so good. And actually, every video I make, I'm like, God, that's 100 times better than the last one I made. Like even just the last one, not even the one I made 10 videos ago, just the last one, it's so much better. So you have to be willing to embarrass yourself and put yourself out there and do a bad job and fail um, if you want to get good at something you can't just go straight into it and be brilliant and hard work beats talent anyway so just keep doing it and make sure you publish it whether it's something you've written um, you know publish it on your own website or write a caption on social media or you know stick a video on TikTok make sure you're making yourself do it and don't worry I think about things like schedules like oh I have to do it every week because it's so easy for that to fill apart in one bad week and then you feel like you failed and you can't do it anymore just tell yourself just keep doing it just keep moving forward even if that's like a crawling pace and just get your things out there and in when you've made you know when you've published your 50th article or your 10th video or um, you know it's three years down the line and you've got three years worth of stuff that you've put out you are not going to regret putting out those first five cringy bits of work so just just go ahead and do it um, and you can always message me for advice on Instagram and I'll get back to you between three and 300 working days so. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah I, I, that's that's fantastic advice that's fantastic advice um, and yeah I couldn't agree more with like all of those points because it is it's like yeah, I think yeah, just 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 do it is such good advice. And the first time you tell a story, the first time you do something, it's bound to be a bit rope. It's bound to be. A, you might be a miracle worker, and you on your first time, it's so smooth, it's so perfect. But like, there's all you're always going to have those stumbles. You're going to trip over your words, or you're going to cough, or you're going to have someone in the audience who kind of doesn't look particularly engaged mm. because they're just it's not for them. But like, you can't take those things personally, and they're not a, a mistake. There's something to learn from, and they're just you're going to keep yeah. getting better and better and better. So that's fantastic, fantastic advice. Couldn't agree more. Mm. Um, and I guess that leads me on to my final um, final point, which is, and you kind of prompted it there. If someone does want to follow your Instagram and learn from you um, and learn more where should people go to learn more about the topics that we've talked about today or more about you and your work what would you like to promote about yourself or anything else this is your time yeah (laughs) so I my my website uh stephintonature.com uh that's has like everything on it so it's got all my links to all my social media it's got my blogs um linked to my youtube channel uh absolutely everything um you can even find a jobs board there i haven't updated it in a while but uh i'm gonna um but you can find links to absolutely everything just from my website so whether you're looking for resources or you just want to see the kind of stuff i do or you want to find me on social media it's a good place to go um, and then in terms of social media, I'm most active on Instagram. So that's at Forest Lady Steph, because uh, mm-hmm. I made that when I was <laughs> just exclusively doing stuff in forests. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, I'm hoping to do more on Twitter in the future. I actually can't remember what my handle is there. It's either Forest Lady Steph or Steph into Nature. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, whatever it is, I will put links to everything in the description for this episode. So you can go down there, you can find everything, you can follow everything, you can learn more. Um, listeners, everything will be down there in the description for this of this episode for you. So I'll make that nice and easy. Um, 
while you're down there, you can also follow um, us on Instagram um, and Twitter and Facebook and everything. Uh, we got in with and got the same thing on everything to make it nice and simple for you. Uh, <laughs> we've got, wow. <laughs> I know. Um, turns out there's not a lot of uh, <laughs> there's there's not a lot of Pangolin podcasts out there. So it was very easy to get at Pangolin podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, everywhere we have at Pangolin Podcast, and you can go and find us on there. You can also find me on Instagram at the only Jack Baker and on Twitter, only Jack Baker. Um, because it turns out there's many Jack Bakers, so you couldn't I couldn't just get Jack Baker, I had to be only. Uh <laughs> just to read the other Jack Baker's mad at you. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, on Instagram it works better because the only Jack Baker sounds cool, but only Jack Baker <laughs> on Twitter sounds slightly like, oh, it's only Jack Baker, but um, <laughs> it's only him. But it's it's there if you want to follow me on any of those. Um, you can also follow the podcast on your streaming service of choice, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We're on all sorts. What are they all? There, there's loads of them out there. Just follow wherever you're listening to it now. Um, so you don't miss out. And you can leave us a nice review if you are so inclined as well. Um, we'd very like to hear from you. You can tell your friends about us. You can do whatever you want to do. We would appreciate anything because, um, yeah, you'll help us share the stories um, back on theme. Help us share the stories of Steph and everybody else that we have uh, spoken to throughout the course of 60 something episodes now. Uh, or Yes, oh, so many, so many episodes now. Um, and it would be very, very, very appreciated. Um, all that remains, I guess now, though, is for me to say a, a massive thank you to everybody for for listening. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much um, for coming back. Um, and of course, a massive thank you to you, Steph, for joining us and talking about your experiences and having a very meta conversation, talking about <laughs> talking about com- conservation and nature and plants and things. And thank you so much for your time and, and everything. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. And you're welcome back anytime. Anytime you have something you want to chat about, just give me a call and you're more than welcome to jump on uh, to to the show because yes. it's been an absolute joy. Um, and thank you so much. And yes, I guess before I ramble anymore, thank you once again, everybody for listening. Thank you, Steph. And until next time, goodbye, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> 